This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Kingdom expansion. I'm going to sketch a picture for you. So imagine for a moment a world of darkness. Complete darkness. Perpetual, unending darkness. Imagine for a moment people being born into darkness. They live all their lives in darkness. And then they have an eternity of darkness. Because that, spiritually speaking, that is many people's reality. They, as I said, born in darkness, live in darkness. And their destiny, their future without Christ is an eternity of darkness. Now the good news is, like that lighthouse on the picture, you and I are the light of the world. We have the privilege of turning on the lights. The privilege of shining the light of Jesus Christ through our lives so that those in darkness can see and experience the love and goodness of God. I don't know if there's any greater privilege in the world. And so Jesus speaks there in that passage, Matthew 5, 14. And he says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Should not be hidden. We together are like a city on a hill that everybody should be seeing. There's light in the midst of so much darkness. But the enemy... He doesn't want us to shine. The enemy wants to intimidate us. I know some of us, you feel like, you don't feel like a city on a hill. You don't feel like a, 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 a big uh, lighthouse. Some of us feel like, you know, you have a little candle. Candle in the wind. <laughs> don't die, don't die, don't die. You know, a little candle that's going to be snuffed out any moment. And I know some of us feel like that. But that's a lie of the enemy. If you are a believer in Christ... And Jesus lives in you, then there is a powerful force within you that God wants to unlock. And so that's what this series is about. It's about kingdom expansion, about the light of Jesus shining into this dark world. Now the question is how? Because that's, that's, I've asked like a Lord. I know you want to reach a lot of people. How are we going to do this, Lord? How, how will we be transformed to that city? On a hill, how will we break out of our intimidation and our lack of faith at times? And, and you know, the struggles of insecurity and so forth. And I, I felt like the Holy Spirit just downloaded something to me. You know, I wanted to preach on faith this week. I wanted to preach on faith. Like, faith is the key. Faith, believe. And I felt the Holy Spirit said, no. There's something more important than faith. Although faith is very important. Faith moves mountains. Faith connects us with the power of God. Faith is powerful. Faith in God is powerful. But there's something greater. What is that greater? What do you guys say? What is greater than faith? <laughs> love. Love. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. And I just realized that love 
God's love in us and God's love through us will move us like no other force could ever. So I'm going to show you how you and I can grow in this understanding of the love of God and God willing also receive a greater measure of the love of God. So I was in, in Kenya recently and, uh, you know, in other countries you sometimes see things that are out of the ordinary. Like this next picture. I was like, I have to take a photo of this. Two pigs on the back of a motorbike. <laughs> and so I was like, if pigs could speak, what would they say? Hey, Billy, I think we're in trouble. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think we're in trouble. We're about to be slaughtered. We're about to be ate, eaten. So, uh, well, it seems that this little piggy went to the market, the farm, and now to the great trough in the sky, remembering with snorts of laughter and tasty memories. Something like that. It's like a boudoir. Cheers. And then I think you may have to have like a little bit of pig joke. Why did the pig refuse to play cards? He was afraid of getting bored. <laughs> bored. Okay. Brilliant dad joke there. <laughs> but anyway, I saw that. I'm like, yo. So when I was in Kenya, I was like out of my comfort zone. Quite challenging. No Wi-Fi. God, no Wi-Fi. Challenging. But I found that every time I... I go places and I'm outside of my comfort zone and I meet the people of God, people who love Jesus. It reveals to me another aspect of who God is. And so a few weeks ago, I shared about this lady. I want to share again about her. Her name is Lucy. Here's a photo. She is my hero. And she has such a passion for Jesus. She's the earliest day in the morning to pray and to worship Jesus. And she is born with polio. So on the next slide, you can see she crawls around on her knees. Her hands, she puts into the slops, and then she goes around worshiping Jesus. She loves God, and she really touched my heart. I experienced the love of God through her, and I spent quite a bit of time praying for her for healing. But I was moved. I was moved by God's love. For this lady. And, um, and so I, I took a, so at, when worship time, she would go onto stage and just worship Jesus. And I took a video of it and I wanted to quickly show you a little bit of the way that she worships Jesus. So let's, let's play then.
So when you see that, you also want to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good fun. But I love how they, how they just they worship Jesus with passion. They bring themselves, their whole being to the Lord. And I just love this. Uh, she just worships Jesus. She has got nothing, but she is Jesus. She is probably the most richest, most wealthiest person on the planet because she has Jesus. And I experience the love of God for the, the nobodies. I just see Jesus sees her. And love gives us eyes to see people. When we lack love, we lack sight. We miss. We miss what God is doing. And so I want to share with you four principles of how you and I can be unlock a greater measure of love. Or the results also of receiving love. So the first one is, if you and I want to grow in love, we need, we need a love for Christ. It begins there. That love will move us. So I want to take us to a passage in Luke 7, 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. This woman, probably a prostitute, heard that Jesus is going to be there. And so she went there and she took along very expensive perfume that she was going to pour out upon him. And she brought this extravagant, passionate worship that flowed from extravagant love. So the next verse reveals it. It says, then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now you have to understand that context. It's a Pharisee's house in that Pharisaic Religious environment, they hated sin, and they didn't like sinners. And that woman was a big sinner. And so she, moved by love, because she heard Jesus is there, she came into this extremely critical, judgmental environment. And she poured out her love upon Jesus. I mean, imagine that. Kissing his feet. Tears flowing. Her hair wiping. Her tears off his feet. Awkward. <laughs> Super awkward for everybody else. But there was someone moved by love. Someone who discovered how much Jesus loves her. Someone who realized This is what I've been looking for. He is it. And then she brought her worship. Extravagant, sacrificial worship to the feet of Jesus. And everybody else like, this is over the top. I always uh, smile. You know, there's some people in the body of Christ. They are the self-proclaimed police officers. And they would warn us. Very important warning. They say where there's too much emotionalism in the church, it's dangerous. Something's wrong. 
And then I read this. And we're like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure Jesus has a problem with someone who experiences his love and is moved to tears and extravagant worship and surrender? I think not. But we always warn, guys, watch out for the emotions. How can you experience the love of God and the forgiveness of all your sins and not be emotional about it? Not maybe cry. How can you not? When the moment you discover the greatness of his love, surely you and I will be moved to tears. Moved. Amen? So I want to just break off that yoke of your lives. Of Just don't be a little bit over the top. Be over the top. Be over the top. That brings worship. That brings glory to the name of Jesus. Bring your whole being. Let love move you to Jesus. Let love move you. Forget about the person next to you when you are worshiping here in church or any other. Worship him. Love him and receive his love. I would say there's something wrong. If you're not moved emotionally, there's something wrong. You are missing it. It's so easy to fall into an intellectual relationship with God. Obviously, we use our intellect and we worship God with our intellect, but it should touch our hearts. It's called your first love. You know, it's like with me and Sonica. I should feel a bit of love every now and again for my wife. <laughs> it's called love. You know? So we must, the, 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 God wants to touch us in our hearts. And that love will move us. Even with that, uh, that, that sinful woman, she was moved to go into a critical, judgmental environment because of one reason. Love moved her. And I tell you, when you experience the love of God, you will run into the darkness, bringing the light of Jesus. You will. Because love moves us like no other force. No other power on the planet. And so worship, real worship is like that. Fully, wholehearted, giving the whole being, bringing a sacrifice of praise, bringing yourself with passion. Verse 39, it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Ah, the expert, the professional, the man who knows and misses God completely. There's unfortunately many of them out there. God help us that we don't become like that. You see, but dead religion makes us critical. Dead religion makes us irritated with passion, with wholehearted worship, with People that are in love with Jesus. Dead religion will always cause us to be despising and looking down upon people. And that's where we have to guard our hearts. We have to watch ourselves. To not become the professional. To not allow our hearts to become hard. To not allow the enemy to get a grip on our hearts. Because we, we know it. You know, knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. Love builds up. 
And so we always need to, like, we boast of nothing but Jesus Christ. We don't boast in our knowledge, our degrees, our, 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 how long we've been saved, or whatever we've achieved. No, it's everything is by grace. Everything is by grace. Everything that is working in our lives is the grace of God. And the Lord calls us to this place of humble surrender where our hearts are filled with his love. And so she is a sinner. Let's not be overcritical. So I'm going to take us to the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, verses 14, and, and we're going to look up to 16. And the Apostle Paul was this big Pharisee. He knew what it is to be critical and judgmental and opinionated and miss God completely. And then he met Jesus and he came to Christ and he became this, he was this proud intellectual and then he became the humble servant of God. He wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love, the epic writing on the love of God. He, he discovered the mercy and the goodness of God and that moved him. And so he says here in the Passion Translation, says so beautifully, he says, love obligates me. To preach to everyone. Love moves me to tell everybody. You see, the default for all of us is to do nothing in terms of shining the light. The default is to not reach out to others. The default is to be intimidated. The default is to think I'm just, you know, holding my little candle in the wind. The dead, that's the default. But Paul said, no, love moves me. Love obligates me to preach to everyone. To those who are among the elite and those who are among the outcasts. You see, the elite, if they don't have Jesus, they are poor. And those among the outcasts, the nobodies, the Lucys of this world. To those who are wise and educated, as well as to those who are foolish and unlearned. And Paul says, I owe the world. I have to tell everybody. You see, and that woman, that sinful woman that came to Jesus weeping and and kissing his feet, now, I guarantee you that woman would leave there and she's going to tell everybody about this Jesus. Because love moves us. Love moves us. And so the second thing that love does is it, it, it compels. First, our love for Christ, but then it moves us outward. So 1 Corinthians thirteen seven reveals the power of love. It says love never gives up. Never gives up. Never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance, but love will last forever. This reveals the power of love. Do you have challenges in your life at times? Yes. Have there been times you felt like knocked down by life or the enemy and the challenges? I'm sure you have. What is going to get you to stand up and move for the glory of Jesus? Love. Love never gives up. Love never gives up. No matter how many times you get knocked down, love is going to get you to move, to get up and move out because there are people on God's heart. If we lose the love of Jesus, you're going to stay down. And you see that epic boxing movies? <laughs> the Rocky movies? <laughs> That's because of love, yes! You're knocked down, but you're going to get up and you... You hit back because love moves you. Love moves us to not give up. I've been at times in my life where I wanted to give up and then I, no. There are people that need to hear about Jesus. 
They are people that need to be guided to Christ. They are people that need to hear the message. Get up. Love moves you to never give up and never loses faith. Why is love greater than faith? Because love feeds your faith. Love feeds your faith. Love is that source that stirs faith to believe again. All of hell might be coming against us. All this darkness in this world might be coming against us. But love moves us to run into the darkness to reach that one. That one. That's what love makes us do. That is what love calls us to do. And it endures through every circumstance. He's just not going to give up. His love sustains us and heals us and restores us to move. You see, you are saved for a purpose. You are born again for a reason. You are born again so that others might hear the message. So that you can shine your lights. But love will last forever. Some says love never fails. I tell you, when we passionately, boldly keep on loving others, you can't fail. Lives will be impacted. There will be eternal impact. It's beautiful. You see, love moves us. And so these two aspects, the one is our love for him. Our love for him moves us towards him. And I've said this before, but you know, there's this, there's this Point of no return. Those, when you give your life to Christ originally, there's this journey and, and you're struggling and up and down and you're maybe not sure about your faith and you could actually lose your faith at any time. You are so vulnerable. But then there's a moment, a point, you go over the point of no return and it's like, I will never turn away from Jesus. I will never. Uh, where, where are you at on that, on that, on that trajectory? Or is it like, oh, something bad happens, you curse the name of Jesus. God, how could you do this to me? No, no, when you get over that point, you're like, God, I worship you. You are good. You are faithful. That's of the enemy. But you, I will follow you and I will serve you all my days. I will never turn away from Jesus. I'll go through ups and downs, yes, but I will never turn away. He is my everything. He's my everything. What is he to you? And add on, nice backup plan. Don't want to go to hell, you know. Or is he your everything? Because if he is your everything, you're going to be moved by love. You're going to step out. Your life will matter. Your life will impact others. Light will shine. Jesus is my everything. And then when he becomes your everything, his love is imparted to your heart. And then suddenly your eyes open and you start seeing people. You start seeing Lucy's. You start seeing people on his heart. You start seeing. Instead of just going through the motions, just focusing on yourself. And then what does love do? What is the impact of love? It comes to this one statement. You realize it's not about me. Amen? That's a profound revelation. Love gets you to focus on others. It's not about me. If we lack love, it's about me. We live for me. Love wants to move us beyond me to reach those on his heart. And I'm trusting for the word of God to get a hold in our hearts. You see, love moves us to our knees to pray. And love moves us beyond our fears. Love moves us to run into the darkness. To see the lost saved. 
So 1 Corinthians 13, 13, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. The greatest is the, of, of these is love. And I'm like, wow, but faith is powerful. Faith in God. I mean, faith moves mountains. Faith connects us to the power of God. But then I realize if we lack love, you're going to move the wrong mountains. You're going to move selfish mountains. You're going to just apply it for what you want, and you're going to miss God completely. Love directs our faith, and it feeds our faith, so that the right mountains are moved for the glory of God. It's about people. It's about those on his heart. Faith is fed by the love of God. Number three, there's a love that overwhelms your fears. So there's a variety of things that can motivate us in life, but there's none as pure as being motivated by love. So when the love of God is released into our hearts, then, then, then we love well. And fear is this great obstacle. I know we struggle with intimidation and we're afraid what people are going to say. I said we have this little candle in the wind and we're like, I don't know, this is going to work. And so fear snuffs it out. But love will move us beyond our fears. Love will move us. It's like this, Romans 1.15, the Apostle Paul speaks of this. And he says there to the Romans, says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, I'm excited. Do you know that that's not the first emotion normally? It's like you're going to preach, you're going to share with somebody about Jesus. You're like, I'm afraid. I'm intimidated. I don't know how I can do this. So normally the first thing is like, I am, I'm afraid. And that's normal. That's human. But there's a place where God wants to move us into where we are moved by love, where love overwhelms our fears. And you actually like, oh, I'm excited. <laughs> so I shared with a few weeks ago that I had this, con- this connection with a guy in Pakistan. And as we've been doing these Zoom video evangelistic crusades. And so we did the first one a few weeks ago, and they were blown away. They said they've never had so many miracles break out in that bit when we prayed for people to be healed. And so we did another one a week or two ago. And so they were bussing people in and uh, marketing it as a, as a miracle crusade. And incredible miracles broke out. I mean, they, they, we went house to house photo of the person with their story incredible miracle so the crowd like doubled from the previous time and uh, you can keep on just scrolling through there i'm there on the screen sharing and uh i tried to smile a little bit more this time like almost <laughs> almost smiling <laughs> it's like say four or five hundred people or so and uh Keep on going, praying for people, beautiful miracles, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And you know what? My first response is, I'm freaked out. Because I, I, I don't want to just bring a little message via video. These people need Jesus. They don't need a little preacher with a little nice little message. They need Jesus. So I've been praying and trusting the Lord. 
that he's gonna, he's gonna, that he's gonna work mightily. So I've been just been pursuing the heart of God and just stirring up faith and getting over my, my fears or intimidation just to a place of believing in the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That when I speak the gospel, the good news of Christ, when I proclaim Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is gonna come. And so it just blew my mind. Just to see the, the, the way the miracles and people coming to Christ and, and God touching him. It was so encouraging. I just realized our God is powerful. But we have to overcome our fears. We have to come, overcome the intimidation. And maybe for you, it's not next week on Zoom into Pakistan. But for you, what is your next step? Your next step to engage with somebody. To ask them about their journey in Christ. To share your testimony with somebody. To, 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 to engage with people spiritually instead of just like keeping it safe. You'll be amazed how people love to talk about spiritual things. People like to talk about themselves in any case. So just ask them a few questions. Just engage. It stirs my fire for others when I engage with them. So here's a beautiful definition of the gospel. It says Christianity is about God being Good to bad people. Not good people trying to earn their way into heaven by being good. Christianity is about God being good to bad people. Not good people trying to earn their way into heaven by being good. Now that second part, that is dead religion. We're good people. We're working to get our way into heaven. It doesn't work. It's only to realize, no, I'm bad without Christ. I am inherently wicked, every one of us, inherently in our core being, we are wicked, infected with a disease called sin. Until we surrender to Jesus and he gives us a new heart and he washes us clean by the blood of the Lamb. Gives us a new nature and suddenly you want to do what is right. You, you want to do differently. And so what will, what will stir our faith or our love for God more than anything else? And then next bit in Luke 7, we see the answer. Because before Jesus says this, he shares a bit of a parable. He asked the Pharisee, there were two debtors, two guys, servants. They owed their credit to money. The one a little bit, the other one a lot. They asked that the debt would be canceled. Both of them debts were canceled. The one a little bit, the other one a, a much. And then Jesus asked, which one would love the creditor the most? Then he said, the one that was forgiven more. So the key to loving God more is to get a revelation of how much you've been forgiven. Because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we don't even know. And so in verse 44, it says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Simon the the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? Because he was saying, You're not seeing the woman. You're not seeing the person. You're just seeing rules and regulations. What's right and what's wrong. You, your, 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 your pride has blinded you. Your, your pride has caused you to just think of, of, from a point of criticism and judgment and finding fault. But you are not seeing. Because love gives us eyes to see. Pride always blinds. Pride blinds us to our own stuff. And pride blinds us from seeing people. And then he says there, I entered your house. You gave me no water. For my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. 
And then verse 47. He says, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The religious Pharisee didn't have an idea how bad his sins are. Didn't realize that Jesus could wash him clean. His pride blinded him. Therefore, he loved little. He couldn't see. That's the danger of religion. Any one of us can be infected with a spirit of dead religion where we, we become proud. We focus on our knowledge. We become critical of others. And we don't love. Love covers a multitude of sins. So if you and I find ourselves being critical of others, just finding fault, 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 we're missing the heart of God. Love gives us eyes to see who someone can be when Jesus touches them. Amen? Come on, say it. Lord, give me eyes to see. Amen. Lord, let your love, let your love fill us. So I want to ask this question. Do you, do you realize how much God has forgiven you if you have a living relationship with Jesus? Do you realize? I want to encourage you. Take a moment every day and just ponder where you were and what God has done for you. Born in darkness, our destiny would have been darkness for eternity. But Christ, Jesus saved us. And so the enemy doesn't like the gospel, so he counters it with a false gospel. So there's a young man that was in church that I engaged with because I, I haven't seen him in a while and it was on my heart. So I sent him a message, hey, where are you? What's happening? And he responded like, no, I don't want to come to church anymore. Because when he comes to church, he, he feels sad. I'm like, why do you feel sad? Because like, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm considering atheism, maybe a bit of gnosticism, but I, I don't believe anymore. I'm, I'm, yeah. So anyway, so we engaged. And I'm like this, listening to the, the things he was saying. And then I realized what he's struggling with is so many people that struggle with the same kind of thing. The same kind of arguments. But it's the enemy's voice whispering, whispering, whispering. So I want to highlight the three things on the next slide. You can see them. The devil's gospel. And ultimately, it comes down to pride. You wouldn't think. I mean, this young man is sincere and he's... You know, wanting to know the truth, but it actually comes down to, to pride. So, for instance, he says, I mean, there's an argument many use. He says, like, when you look at the Old Testament and God causing the slaughter of so many people, nations being destroyed, surely he is evil. And if he is evil, he is not real. That's the voice of the enemy. But what he and many others don't understand is that the Old Testament reveals a holy God. And and it reveals the consequences of sin. The consequences of wickedness. It leads to destruction. So the Old Testament is written for us so that we can realize this is where sin leads. It leads to death. It leads to eternal death. Those nations being slaughtered and judgment and and justice coming. They deserved it. 
like every one of us. We deserve an eternity without God. We have all lusted. We have all lied. We have all hated at times. We have all worshipped self. We have all worshipped other gods. Although we might not be bound down, but we could worship money. We could worship people's opinions. We could worship our intellect. There's so many things. We are all guilty. And the whole Old Testament is about revealing to us this is the consequence of sin. It always leads to death. But now what happens is because we as mankind, we tend to be proud. So what do we do? We make ourselves God's judge. So we are offended that God will be the judge on judgment day. So what do we do? We get onto the pedestal ourselves and say, I'm going to judge God. The created being. The, the small little nobody like you and me. The, like the Bible says, you and me, our lives is like a mist before the, the morning sun. As the sun comes up, it's gone. The finite, short-lived speck of dust. Nobody exalts him or herself to be the creator's judge. Say, you are evil. No, no, no. We are evil. We are wicked without Christ. And and we have to see that. We have to realize that we make ourselves the judges. the, The reason that your life and my life has any meaning, any value, any significance is because God loves us. He brings significance to our lives. This infinite, you know, nothing little speck, you and me, children of the Most High God, who will live forever and reign and rule with Him. He gives us significance, but the human heart is wicked and we tend to exalt ourselves and we become God's judge. That is utter foolishness. I don't want to be near you on Judgment Day. That'll be terrifying. But we do that. The proud make ourselves God's judge. And then what do we do as well? We make ourselves God. And why wait? Well, we say, hey, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe it. It's just another book. Okay, cool. So what are you going to believe? Well, I'm going to take a little bit of that. And I'm going to take a little bit of that. Buddhism, maybe a little bit Islam, maybe this, maybe that. And I'm going to put it all together. Okay, now how are you going to determine what is true and what's not? Now, I will decide. So what are you doing? You're making yourself God. You're making yourself God. You're exalting yourself to the place. I'm not going to submit myself to the word of God that is truth. The truth, the standard. Everything must be compared to his word and his truth, the creator's word. But we say, no, I'm going to decide what is true and what is not. Result is you're going to be deceived. You've exalted yourself to be God. It's a manifestation of pride. And it ends in disaster. So I am pleading with us, don't fall for it. Don't fall for the, the lie of pride. Pride blinds. Love and humility gives us eyes to see. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you and he will bless you. And my heart breaks for those who lose their way. Not only those, I mean, I saw some stats now in the U.S. The stats are horrific. The amount of young people who grew up in the church who is denying the faith because of arguments like these. And there's a voice, the voice of the enemy, the gospel of the devil, countering the one and true gospel. And so we have to humble ourselves if we are to truly receive his truth. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the third thing we do is, is like, and I don't know why, but so many people I engage with is like, when a moment I say, hey, but Jesus took your place. You deserve this punishment. You deserve judgment. I mean, you're a sinner. Like, I don't like that. You don't like it. You don't like it if someone loved you so much that they would die in your place. Why don't you like that? For some reason they hate it. And I'm like, hmm, why is that? It could be because of pride. It's like, I'm going to work my way into heaven. This free gift thing, I don't like it. Because I have to humble myself. No, no, no. I'm going to perform my way into heaven because I'm a good person. And I'm going to work my way into heaven because one day I'm going to stand up there in heaven. I'm like, I did this. No one's going to do that. No one's going to stand before God and be able to claim anything. Only proud people would think that they are better than they are. A humble people is like, no, 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 no. I, thank you, Jesus. I receive. <laughs> I receive. That's a classic statement here. Karma. What is karma? Put the picture on. It says, karma is you get what you deserve. Whew. God help us. If you and I get what we deserve, trouble. Christianity. Jesus got what you deserve. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. That is love. I've often said it. I know the hell is real because Jesus went through hell on the cross to save us from hell. Hell is that real. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone there. He wouldn't have gone through that suffering. He paid the price. All of the blood offerings through the Old Testament, it all points to him. For like a thousand years, it was a slaughter of animals to cover the sins of people. But it couldn't remove it until Jesus, the Lamb of God, came. There's power in the blood. He didn't just cover the sins. He removed it. Amen. Come on. Jesus. He removed it. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And it's offensive to the proud. It's glorious to the humble. Let's humble ourselves. Let's receive the goodness of God. So let love move you. The four things there. Let love move. You can put it on. A love for Christ moves us like nothing else. A love that compels us to, to, to share with others, to shine our light. A love that overwhelms our fears because that's what love does. So we're going to be unashamed. And the fourth one, a love that's unashamed. I want to end off with verse 16. Paul the Apostle, then he, he speaks about the, the classic, classic passage it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's offensive, but it's the truth. And it's glorious. And he says, I will not be ashamed. But so many are ashamed. So many hold back. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. There is power in the gospel message. It's like when I do the Zoom things to Pakistan, I see this in my mind's eye. Like when I proclaim who Jesus is, it's like I'm taking a whole box load of TNT dynamite. Because that's what the word power means. It speaks of dynamite. It's like I'm taking a whole box of spiritual dynamite and I'm chucking it into Pakistan. 
blowing up some demons, blowing up this, just washing away the sins, blowing up mindsets that are not of God. Just the power of the Holy Spirit is... And that's true, because I would say it's power. We need to discover again the power of simply sharing of what Jesus has done for you. That's what the Apostle Paul and other disciples often said when they said, shut up, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They said, we can't not share what we have seen and what we have experienced. We're going to share. I want to encourage you. When you, little old you, would you feel like you have your little candle in the wind? Is actually dynamite. And when you share your story, what Jesus has done in your life, and we just love somebody, you engage with them about their spiritual walk, and you just share a bit of what God has done in your life, and you just share a bit of who Jesus is, expect the power of God to show up. Expect all of heaven to break out into that environment, into that person's heart and mind. You are not doing this alone, your little candle in the wind. Dynamite. Come on, say it. I have dynamite. Amen. Dynamite. And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing a church that is evangelistically potent. I'm seeing a people that have experienced personally how much they've been forgiven. And therefore they love much. God and others. Amen. The power of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of God, the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. And so the last verse, verse 17, which I will unpack more next week. But it speaks, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live, shall breathe by faith. Believing who he is and what he has done. I want to read a beautiful testimony of a man. His name is Shane Taylor. And this reveals the power of the gospel to transform. It says, Shane Taylor was considered one of the most dangerous men in the UK prison system. Originally jailed for attempted murder. He had his sentence extended by four years when he attacked a prison officer with a broken glass, setting off a riot. He was put in a segregation unit inside a maximum security prison. He was given his food through a hatch. His door was not opened unless there were six officers armed with riot shields, waiting outside. Later, he was transferred to another maximum security prison where he was invited to the Alpha course. During the course, he prayed, Jesus Christ, I know you died on a cross for me. I hate who I am, who I've become. Please forgive me and come into my life. At that moment, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went running out onto the wing, telling everyone he could find, Jesus is real. Love that. In that moment, he experienced the reality of God. Born in darkness, all his life filled with darkness until the glorious light of Christ shone upon his heart. And he was transformed. His behavior changed so much that he went from living in total segregation to getting a trusted job in the prison chaplaincy. He prayed for the prison officers and for his enemies. And when he came out of prison, he got involved in a church. He met a young woman called Sam, who also had a tough life, involved with drugs and criminal activity. She also came to faith in Jesus, and then he got married and had five children. Talking to Shane now, it is hard to imagine that he's the same person 
who terrified so many people in the past. He has experienced the wonder of God's love. The wonder of God's great love. He says, Jesus has shown me how to love and how to forgive. He has saved me. He has forgiven me for what I've done. He has turned my life around. Amen. Come on, give Jesus praise for that. (laughs) Hallelujah. That is the power of the gospel. That is another point of evidence for the reality of Jesus. Go to the same man and preach to him atheism. Yes. There is no God. And see the result. Nothing. Just more hatred. More anger. Just more darkness. Preach gospel of Jesus Christ. Transformation. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. He's still transforming lives. And he wants to transform somebody's life through your life. It is the greatest privilege we can have this side of eternity to share the glorious gospel. The immortal gospel with these mortal lips. It is such an honor. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants your light to shine like never before. I believe he wants this church to be a city on a hill. Preaching the gospel. Sharing one-on-one. Your story, your testimony. Allow his love to overwhelm you. His love will move you. His love will cause you to look away from the opinions of man and you're just going to go. And that's what I'm feeling. Like, okay, God, let's do it. We're going to step out. Hallelujah. If one soul gets saved, so be it. Praise God. It's worth it. It's worth it to be a fool for Jesus to see a soul saved. Amen. This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message.